You might like to uh, keep open your Bibles at that passage, as we'll be looking at that as we go through tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul, who wrote this letter to those Christians in the city of Rome all those years ago. We thank you that we have the freedom to read them, we have the freedom to apply them to our lives, and we pray very much, Father, that your Holy Spirit tonight would come with power on us to see and understand and to do the works that you want us to. Amen. Well, as I was looking at this reading, I was wondering, what is it that is most urgent for you today? Have you been motivated by the proclamations of those that want us to stay in or to leave the EU and to get out and vote on June the 23rd? Is that the most important thing for you? Or perhaps it's that application for a new job or a course, or meeting that special person, or perhaps arranging a holiday, buying that house, or arranging that medical appointment. What is urgent and important for you in your life now? Well, tonight we're going to look at uh, what was urgent to the Apostle Paul as he considers a new journey. If I my first slide, please. That's the uh, clinch or the, the main piece of scripture that we're going to be looking at. That's what I'm aiming to do, in any case. But within our series in Romans, we've heard how Paul has called on the followers of Jesus in that church in Rome to be united together within their church. Despite their differences, Paul has called them to be united in sharing the gospel work. And last week, Ben told us how Paul was proclaiming the gospel message to the Gentiles, that is, to the people that weren't Jewish. And he did this through God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, as seen in wonders and signs. And this is not a, wasn't a new uh, aspect of Paul's ministry because we read in chapter 1, verse 9 of Romans, how he prays for them that they are together and that they are united. But what about a bit of background before we actually get into our passage tonight? What about a bit of the geography of the area? Because I'm, uh, as some of you know, an, an ex-geography teacher. Okay, so here we go. This is the area we're talking about. I'm not sure whether this pointer's going to work, but uh, no, I don't think it is going to work. I don't think you're going to be able to see it. But I don't know if you can make out the city of Corinth. It's sort of there-ish in the middle of uh, Greece. Oh, just about there. Yeah, got it. Paul is there, and he's going to sail eastwards that way, and he wants to go down to Jerusalem there, and then he wants to come back up to uh, Rome, which is in the far north, north part of the map there, at the end of that red line. That is what he's proposing to do. And uh, within this letter, he mentions these three places he's going to visit. The first is Jerusalem, taking with him the gift of the money which the Greek churches had collected for the poverty-stricken Christians in Judea. If you look in chapter 15, verse 23, it says that. 
Second place then is Rome, which is the recipient church of this letter. Uh, And then lastly, he wants to go to Spain, which I couldn't get on that map. But, whoops, so... We've gone back to there. So it's on that map there. Um, You can just about make out Jerusalem, or Israel in the bottom right-hand corner, uh, Italy in the middle, and Spain was the far western corner of the Roman Empire of the time, okay? And he wanted to go there. Such was the magnitude of his vision of gospel ministry work. Now, of course, we know that the city of the Rome was the centre of the Roman Empire and it would have been a cosmopolitan city having different races, different social classes. There were freemen there, there were slaves there, there were educated and non-educated. And the church there at Rome would have mirrored this. If you look at the names given in chapter 16, those first uh, few verses of chapter 16, you will see the cosmopolitan nature of the people involved. Phoebe had travelled from the city of Corinth to Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were married and they had been expelled from Rome by the emperor in AD 18. And in chapter 16, we read that Paul's greetings went to the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, the Gentiles, men and women, prisoners, prominent citizens. This church in Rome was broad and mobile. It crossed culture and social and economic lines. And Paul urges them to support one another and be united. And that's, of course, very similar in a lot of ways, of course, to our cities today, isn't it? We are cross-cultural, we're cross-social barriers as well. And so we can take Paul's words for ourselves. So Paul then gives the Roman Christians to whom he's writing an outline of his plans, what he wants to do, that he should proclaim the gospel in areas where where it's not been proclaimed before, in other words, new ground, and you'll see that in verses 20 of chapter 15. Paul is single-minded about preaching the gospel to those that haven't heard it before. So that's the background then of our passage tonight. Paul believes that Jesus has called him to go beyond the Jewish society to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death on the cross for mankind's sin. And therefore, he wants to visit those in Rome, which he hasn't been able to visit before. And then he wants to go on to Spain, which is an area not yet evangelised. So it'll be a major journey. But note he's also going to Jerusalem, to serve the Jewish saints already there. Jerusalem, of course, was, a, was where there was a church that was well established. It was at the centre of events that led to the formation of a church. It was the centre of where Jesus' life, his death and resurrection took place. And so we read in our passage tonight that Paul has two very different agendas. A visit to the nearby Jerusalem church, where Jewish Christians are the main components, and then going on to Spain, which was that far western output of the Roman Empire. But how then were they, these things to be actually achieved? What was he going to do, actually? Well, firstly, we see, we see two things here. Firstly, that uh, Paul asked for material support, and he asked for spiritual support. 
So firstly, the material support. Look what he says. He says that the wealthier Gentile Christians are going to give to those in Jerusalem as brothers in Christ who are in material need. Paul makes the point that there needs to be a sharing of resources between fellowships. The Jewish community had given the the Gentile community the inheritance of spiritual blessings that came from the Jewish faith and traditions. Jesus was a Jew, and his first disciples all Jews. And now in return, the Gentile community in Greece can give of their financial wealth to the poorer Jewish Christians in Judea and Jerusalem, who were suffering from food shortages. If you look at verses 26 and 27. Now here, I think, here's where we can have a practical outcome for us as well. Here's a pattern that we can apply to Christian communities in our world. Those that have been blessed with spiritual blessings can share these with communities that are less blessed. If you think about our history, in the 18th and 19th centuries, European Christians went off to Africa and Asia to share with the people the spiritual blessings of the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. And today, of course, we've got the reverse happening. We've got the reverse flow where Christians uh, in the communities of Africa and the Middle East are sending some of their people to our land who are sharing with us how God acts mightily in their need, where miracles are evident, where spiritual battles happen, where many are coming to faith in Jesus and church communities are expanding. Likewise, we in the material rich West can share with them the benefits of resources, of biblical training and encouragement, as well as relief from physical needs of hunger and security. And so we see here that both groups benefit, both groups grow as we show the world the practical outworkings of Jesus' love for all mankind. So Paul asks for physical support. But he also seeks spiritual support. The spiritual support that these Roman Christians can offer to Paul. And this is the main uh, component of the sermon tonight. If you look at verses 30 through to 33 of chapter 15. Look what Paul writes. He says this. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I might come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed to seek help. And so from this, I get the topic of prayer. Because Paul is writing to these Christians about joining with him in his struggle through prayer. Now, of course, prayer is a topic that most Christians would agree is important. Yet it's one which many of us find difficult. Many would say it's really important, but I find it very difficult to practice. Many people will think it's just for the keenies, the keen Christians, so they don't attend church prayer meetings. And it's fine for older people, or even the very old who can do little else. 
Well, perhaps that's a bit patronising. But for Paul, prayer is critically important. And we know it was for the first disciples. Think about it. When they were together after the death of Jesus, they went to a room where they locked themselves in for fear of the Jewish leaders who had killed Jesus. They were really frightened that they might be the next on the hit list. So what do they do? They joined together in prayer. They seemed to spend ages in prayer. They waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit in prayer. But what is prayer in the Christian sense? Well, surely it's listening to God speaking and it's speaking to God. It's a relationship, isn't it? And if we want to draw nearer to Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to have a relationship with him, we need to spend time with him in prayer. Especially if we wish to receive the blessings of God upon this community and the city in which we live. Because this will only happen through prayer. I don't know if you're aware of the fact that all fresh outpourings of God's spirit, which is sometimes called revival, is preceded by God's people humbling themselves, confessing and repenting of their individual and corporate sin and waiting upon God in prayer. So prayer is absolutely vital. Well, returning to our passage and Paul's words, note the urgency of this request. He says this, I urge you, I urge you. There is no time to waste. This is not a voluntary request that they can have the option of not accepting or opting out from. No, look at its importance. Because Paul states, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this is right at the heart of their following Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying to them is this, if you love and follow Jesus, then you will strive with me in prayer. You will strive in prayer for my work that I'm struggling with. That you will pray that I will overcome the problems that he's going to have in Jerusalem. But it's going to go beyond Jerusalem, it's going to go on into Spain, where he goes on, where he wants to go on further. But not only is it urgent, Paul writes it's God's work because we read that it involves all three aspects of God because he says, by our Lord Jesus, the Son, praying to God the Father through the action of the Holy Spirit which has given the gift of love for us. And so we read here how Paul is urging them that that is these disciples from other churches. But what's he urging them to do? to enter with him in his struggles for the gospel. Though they are separated by culture, they're separated socially, and most importantly by time, and physically miles apart, and of course there was no modern communication there at all, and it took people an awful long while to travel any sort of distance at all. But Paul wants them to be a part of his mission even when it isn't easy or straightforward. No, it's a struggle. But note, they don't even have to be physically with Paul, but that you can join in with me, he says, in a spiritual activity called prayer. Now here, of course, is where we can identify with Paul and we can apply this teaching into our world that we live in. 
Paul had a mission to go and preach the gospel in areas that hadn't been exposed to it before. Well, he didn't expect the Christians in Rome to leave everything, to get up and to go with him on that mission. But he did expect them and ask them to be united with him through prayer, though they were many miles away. Well, in our situation at Trinity, we have goals, don't we, for this church. We have mission goals within our parish and further afield in places like Chad. We don't necessarily have to be physically involved with all the activities within our church, city or country that's involved in the spreading of the gospel message. But we can join in with some of them through prayer. So you might not be able to practically help with our outreach activities like the club that we've heard about and the bridge and football on the park and dad's breakfast, just to name a few. But you can individually join in their struggles through consistent, regular prayer. And even better, we can join with others, perhaps twos and threes, to pray for that activity. And I think what's even more important is that we can actually encourage those that are working in these areas by telling them of our regular prayer times for them and for those particular activities they are involved in. But note the method of support that Paul seeks, this idea of prayer. Two things. Firstly, it's not generalised prayer, but it's prayer that is pointed towards particular actions. And firstly, we see the first point Paul makes in verse 31, it's pointed towards the actions of unbelievers. Look in verse 31. He says this, if I can find it. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. So Paul is asking them to pray that he might be rescued from real threat of unbelievers' actions in Judea. Paul is being specific. Pray against the actions of those who don't know God, those that seek to do me harm who are found in Judea. This is enough for you to get going with. I've given you enough information. Pray about that. Now, we in our society, of course, have masses of information concerning the actions of unbelievers against uh, Jesus' followers. We've got organisations like the Barnabas Fund, which produce news sheets and prayer requests concerning physical and spiritual persecution of believers. We have people in our own church who have contacts with believers being persecuted. We receive newsletters from our mission partners where they give specific information so we can pray specifically for the safety of our mission partners. And in doing so, we are entering in their struggle for the spread of the gospel where they are working. We can also pray against negative action of unbelievers within our local community which at times may be proving difficult as we want to spread the gospel. So Paul asks for specific prayers against unbelievers. But we see also on verse 31 that he prays for specifically towards believers. Look what he says in verse 31. Those believers in Jerusalem that he's on the way to visit, that his service may be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. 
Paul in his struggle isn't even certain that his service will be acceptable to those that love and follow Jesus in that church in Jerusalem. He's not even sure that there won't be criticism and disunity within that fellowship when he comes to bring the physical gift from the Gentile followers. Will the gift be acceptable to the Jewish believers? Many of the Jewish Christians had questioned whether Paul was right to go and preach to the Gentiles. So within Paul's visit to Jerusalem, there is potential for conflict from differences found within the groups of believers. And isn't this the same today within the church that we find? When support comes from a group of Christians that differ from us, Maybe they're more charismatic. Maybe they have different views on theology, but they love Jesus and they want to support the spreading of the gospel. Isn't there often conflict within fellowships when some decide that the gospel needs to be taken outside of middle-class England and go out into the estates in which marginalised people live? Well, here at Trinity, we're trying to strengthen the cooperation of churches to enable the spreading of the gospel through the work in the northeast of the parish, through the use of the old post office. So let's pray for unity. Let's concentrate upon what God has provided for all and not what divides. Paul wasn't certain that the Jerusalem church would accept the gift from the Gentile church and calls upon the Roman church to pray for a successful outcome. But what is the outcome of Paul's uh, teaching? What's going to be the outcome of this prayer? Well, Paul is certain that prayer will be needed so that God's will is done. Look at verse 32. So he says this, So that by God's will... I may come to you with joy, and together you will be refreshed, and the God of peace will be with you all. So he writes that there should be a practical outworking of God's will being done. Paul states in verse 32 that as a result of this prayer, he will have joy, and that they together will be refreshed. They will receive from God a refreshing of their spirits, and Paul will be joyful. Well, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what uh, we want? That they, he says that they will have joy, they will be refreshed, they will receive from God a refreshing of their spirits, and Paul will be joyful. Well, isn't this what we would like to receive? A refreshing of our spirits. Paul suggests that this will be the results of unity within the family of God. It will be the result of them all being united in prayer, urgently, because they will be committed to working with God's evangelist to bring in God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, even if it's difficult. Now, of course, we've got the benefit of hindsight, haven't we? So with hindsight, we know that Paul, in fact, does get to Rome, but he got to Rome in a very difficult situation because he was in chains. We need to know God's will if we are to pray in his will. We can't define what God's will is going to be or control what it is. Paul subjected his will to God's will, even if it was for him to get to Rome in captivity and chains. 
But it gave him the opportunity to witness to those in authority within that city and empire. We can't force God to act in our ways. Proclaiming the gospel is Paul's way. And for us today, we need to be single-minded as Paul is. So let's strive together in prayer that God's gospel is proclaimed to both the Jew and the Gentile alike and not just the middle class, but to all classes that are found within our city and to all peoples. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, well, how can I end it? What's going to be a good practical way of an outcome of Paul's teaching? Well, I'm going to risk something, okay? So um, I hope you're with me for this. If you are not happy with praying, please just... uh, remain quiet in the next five minutes or so because I'm going to finish by giving us the opportunity to put Paul's instructions into practice. He urges his brothers and sisters and I would like to take this opportunity to urge us individually and corporately to pray for this church and its aim to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all types of people in this parish. I'm inviting us individually, or if you like to get in small groups, whatever you feel happier with, to spend the next few minutes, and it will be about five minutes, uh, praying. Now, I know it's difficult, you know, if someone just says pray, well, what do we pray for? So I've put on the screen some some ideas. This doesn't mean you have to pray for these things. Whoops, gone the wrong way. That's better. So here are just a few ideas for you. For the work of spreading the gospel through the outreach groups, and I've just named three of them. There are a lot more than that in our church, but I couldn't get them on the screen. So there's the club, the bridge, open the book, just to name three of them. We can pray for the financial giving to support an outreach worker, which we talked about in in the service in the last couple of weeks. We can pray, can't we, for a refreshing and filling of the Holy Spirit for each one of us, and for each one who is involved in those activities. And we can pray for unity of the PCC members as they work on the parish profile as we come uh, to look for the uh, as we come through the vacancy period. You might want to pray for other things. They are just some suggestions for you. Paul expected them to pray. Pray, and he expected prayer to be answered. So let us pray expectantly. I'm going to give you five minutes, and then I will invite uh, Rebecca up to lead us in our, our prayers.